Uh, it's exciting to, uh, to gather again this morning, and we're going to continue in our series and, and just finish up in prayer. And I had kind of thrown a curveball at an audible this week and just said, i got to do one more week. There's just way too much to talk about in this area of prayer. And even as Derek just saying, you know, things are not going to stay the same. They're going to be different. But in that, we, we recognize we're here. And that just doesn't mean to sit here and wait for God to return so that we get to leave this bad place. He talks about the kingdom begins now and that there's this redemptive or restorative work that is beginning in us. And even though our hearts are constantly manufacturing out of our depravity, gods and things that we can worship. There's also this promised work that he is doing a work in us and he is changing us. And so what part do we play? And we've talked about this for several weeks, this idea that we're to be a church of, uh, that are praying, people that are praying. And, and I think it's important for us to understand that our culture is so filled with religious behavior that we can miss this idea that prayer is simply a conversation, a sweet dialogue with our Father. We used the illustration, I think, before. A couple weeks ago, I had put a business kind of an office desk here and then a living room couch. And the idea that when we approach the Father in prayer, it is not to be some sort of transaction that we have something for you, God. Do you have something for us? And we feel like if we don't you know, dress the right way and we have the right contract and the right things in the statement, we won't get the, the magic back. And I'm using that term even... In a way, because I think we believe there's this superstitious, if I don't say the right words, that God's not going to hear me. When really, the scriptures speak on and on and on about a God that says, as you sit in my presence, I'm your dad. And as you sit with your dad, and some of us who've had kind of bad father experiences growing up, we can see that picture of a dad we long for that you could sit with. And talk with. Now, friends, I'm going to push you this morning, and there's some things that we just felt like, I don't know if this is like a one message or like four, but it's kind of fire hose-ish, so be ready to drink here for a minute uh, really fast. Because I think there's some things about prayer I want you to understand, and I want to, we, we've, what, for about four weeks, five weeks, been doing this book by Mark Batterson, Draw the Circle. Can I just say, Mark does a great job in his book. But his book doesn't compare to the book, which Scripture speaks about man and woman, child, king, queen, that are bowing their knee to the Father and having a conversation with him. And that is the beautiful picture that Mark is pointing to that book. It really, the Bible is full of that. Os uh, brother, brother Lawrence actually said it this way, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than of that of a continual conversation with God. In other words, a beautiful picture of someone who is living in this world and not with a label of Christian, but living a life that's in love with Jesus is in conversation with him. If, if anything this morning could measure the spiritual maturity of people in this room, and we're not to be comparing to one another, but your life is to be a constant conversation with the king. Is it? Maybe this morning you struggle in your marriage and you're wondering where does it start and how do I begin to repair? And I'm, Troy, you don't know how bad our marriage is. 
my friends, we read that book, the scriptures, and there are many a situation that are much more dire than yours. And the odds were, were greater than the ones that you have, maybe even sitting next to you this morning. He can change your marriage. He can change your life. He can change your neighborhood. He can change it all. And what God asks is that we ask him, we talk to him, we have a conversation with him. I, I, we've gone through the several weeks and we talked about praise, we talked about confession and, and giving our requests to God. This picture to me just keeps sitting in my soul. Because some in this room, I know many of you have said, well, community church is so large and I don't feel connected. And I, and I want you to know every time I hear that, I oh, oh we got to solve it. we got to figure out a new strategy and a new way to do that. But more and more and more as I read about this idea of prayer, I recognize in the New Testament church something different going on. And that was when we have a culture of people that are willing to, to expose need. When we have a culture that's ready to take on the cases or the needs of others. And this is that tank man in Tiananmen Square that decides, I'm going to step in front of him. I'm going to take the case for a people that are feeling oppressed. If we had people in this room both telling their need and taking the cases of others, you'd feel connected. There's something so powerful that when we start to share story, we start to share uh, about what we need in our lives, that it's vulnerable. And what's funny in this room is we act like we don't have need. What is that about us? You know, do you have a, is there something I can pray for? Oh, no, no. I'm so good. I'm, everything's good. I mean, just what Derek said, we, we if anything, praying for our hearts, praying for how we are causing sin in other people's lives and how we are agents of sin. I mean, there's so much to pray for. And if you're just missing, or, or not even missing, if you're ignoring the reality in your own life, I think he said it well, you don't realize how bad you are. This morning, I think we all have a place for us to, to expose that we have need. And there's something so amazing when we expose need in the body of Christ. And we all take that case. And all of a sudden, it happens. And it wasn't a strategy. It wasn't some magic bullet. It was, oh my, the Father has provided once again. If you want to be connected here, might I encourage you strongly to say expose the need in your life. Do, do everything you can to, to get out in the open what is it that you have need for in your life. And if you do that and ask other people to take on that case, friends, I, I find the conversation going much quicker into spiritual matters and the roots and relationship go much deeper and further when there's need. The conversation that you have when a health crisis is in your home or when there's a marital crisis, or when there's a son or daughter that is struggling with depression or thoughts, whatever they might be, those moments where a community of people are gathered around those things, aren't they deep? You don't have to worry about who's, what team's winning or what's going on in culture. It doesn't really matter. And I think this morning I want you to hear that, wow, if you want to begin this journey, of being connected to the body of Christ. Because scripture says as you've entered into that relationship with him, you are. Might I encourage you that connection really belongs to you. The responsibility is yours.
that you need to begin to expose that need you have in your life. And if you don't know where you have that need, you might want to nudge the person next to you and say, could you remind me how bad I have it? You know, you might want to just nudge them. Could you just remind me how bad I have it? I want to answer three key questions this morning, and they're, they're simple ones, but they're actually ones that a lot of people I have found are asking uh, in circles of talking about this idea. First, how do, how do we pray? Let's go to Luke chapter 11. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he says to them, hey, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. How many have heard this prayer before? Lord's Prayer. Each of the Gospels has a little bit different spin on it. Can I give you a couple thoughts about this, about how to pray? There is no formula or words for prayer. Uh, this is probably the most used prayer in, in the world history, yet it's probably the most abused. There's this idea, if we say the Lord's Prayer, whoo, we're good now. We've done the Lord's Prayer. If that were true, then you need to do it all the different ways the gospel writers wrote it, because it was a little bit different. Jesus' point here isn't to say, pray these words specifically this way. He's saying, I want you to think about how I'm praying. And what does he do first? He praises the Father in heaven. It's interesting that we find ourselves very quickly, I find in circles where people don't believe in God, then a life situation happens. Very quickly they hope there is a God because they're talking to him. They're throwing some sort of prayer. God, if you're there, I have, I have a need. He says the very first thing that we should be doing in what's called a conversational prayer, a very sweet conversation with God, is that you have a chance in every moment to breathe praise to him. Do you realize every week when we gather, we, we have a chance to, to listen to our teams of people that are doing music, but we're not listening to them. We're listening to lyrics being written by those who are saying, this is who our God is. If this morning you don't know God that well, you might just even look at the song lyrics written and saying to be reminded and told, who is God? The, the songs, it probably doesn't even remember, it doesn't really matter, it matters to us, but it doesn't matter to God if we're on key, off key, whatever. It's the words and our hearts proclaiming who is. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, then Jesus said to him, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight, banging on his door, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to my home and I have no food to offer him. And suppose one on the inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, my children are in bed. He says, I can't get up and give you anything. That'd be a great scene, right? Small house, I can't get up. Doors are locked, I'm done. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, he will because of your shameless audacity. Jesus is teaching this. What's he saying? Do not stop banging on the door in heaven and saying, God, I have a request. God, I have a request. God, I have a request. God, I have a need. So I say to you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. 
The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. I think some of you in this room are waiting for God to just show up to your life when God is waiting for you to ask him. If some of you this morning are struggling in your marriage and you're looking to a book or a conference or a counseling appointment, all are good things, might I suggest to you to drop to your knees as a couple. Men, can I tell you, I think we have, we have a problem in culture today is that uh, we're not doing what we're called and meant to do biblically. What is a biblical man? It never says that they have a certain football team. It never says that they're certain hunters or fishers. It, it doesn't mention about beer drinking. All fine if you want to do those things. It really talks about men who humble themselves and are great about opening their mouths and saying how much they love their father. Do you want to change your family's life? Then men, in your home, grab your family's hands and start to open up your mouth and praise the king. How many times have you, your family, heard you tell God in tears how much you love him? You want to change your spouse? You know, there's a lot of ways to do that. You can nag, you can, you can bicker, you can fight. You can send counselors to them if you want to. All might work, actually. A foolproof way to change the life of another is for you to model and declare a life surrendered to the king, but with your mouth. You know what I can't stand? is getting together with a group of men and saying, who would like to pray? And it's dead silent. You know what it tells me? They're ashamed to say, to be vulnerable like that in front of the king. They're afraid of what people might think. And friends, Jesus is saying, you ask. And you tell, the, tell God who he is in front of him, in front of anybody. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? How many of you dads would do that to your kids? Maybe as a joke. We're talking as just normal, like giving needs, right? If you then are evil, guys, we just heard it. Derek just said it. Our hearts are evil, and we even know how to good, good, give good gifts to our kids, don't we? I mean, they may not even ask at times, but we're going to say, hey, I want to give this to my kids. And sometimes we have to control how much we do give to our kids, right? Because we want to shower them with things. It says if we can do that and we're evil, our hearts are evil, how? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven do that for us? And he talks about giving us the Spirit. Friends, if you want to start this journey with Christ, you've got to be on your knees. You've got to be grabbing the hands of your spouse if you want a marriage that's different and that, that's surrendered to God and see a change, then start to pray out loud. None of this silent prayer stuff. It reminds me of the story of the father that takes his son to the diner and it's full. They get their food and looks at his son and says, we're going to do silent prayer, son. So they bow their heads and there's no word spoken. The father's done. He lifts his head and his son is just bowed. And it goes on for almost 10 minutes. And he's just like, what is my son saying? And he pops his head up and says, son, what did you say? He goes, I have no idea. It was silent prayer, right? I think so many times there's this idea of just silent prayer. Now, I'm not bashing silent prayer, but I don't think we hear enough the voices of those who love Jesus in front of others. I don't think we hear it enough.
I think we need to hear it from men. To stand up and be what it means to be a godly man. And that's humble before your family and surrendered to another. That will model for your children more than anything else you do. Model brokenness when you confess before them to your king. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to give, my father will give you great gifts. He says, ask. So what are the things? First, we need to praise the father in heaven. We need to ask and we need to keep asking. Ask, ask, ask. How else are we to pray? Uh, um, Another passage is in Matthew chapter 6. And it says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Jesus is saying this. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners and to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. There are some people that when they pray, it's all about what they're going to say. You ever heard someone pray and it's like a message in their prayer? You know? And, and really, the whole idea about prayer is not about these great words. One of the studies done about our, our nation of recent is that uh, the success of certain style of churches in certain states it goes like this if you're in a conservative state typically liberal churches flourish there's a lot of restriction in culture or in politics it's the liberal churches that flourish when you're in a liberal state typically conservative churches flourish now this is just a study that was done it's not saying it's right or wrong just saying what's happening do you know what i think we struggle with in wisconsin We can't figure out what we are because we're a liberal state, but we are so religious, but we void of the relationship. We so reduce God to tradition that it's empty and dead. Friends, there is no magic bullet prayer. Jesus is saying your loud, beautiful prayer doesn't really mean much. He says, but when you pray, go to your room, close the door. Pray to your Father in heaven who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Guys, God doesn't give you extra credit for a super long prayer. He says, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Have you ever prayed and you just said, God, I am heavy, heavy hearted, weighty this morning I only have a few words God knows your heart that's really what we're saying on how to pray is give your own words to the father he wants to hear you not some some priestly prayer or some famous prayer prayed years ago he wants to hear your heart when I got to pray for the president Obama when he came in and I was asked to pray I had asked him, I thought the Secret Service and, and the press department said, uh, no, just pray. Because I said, you, do you want me to have a written prayer? Because that's kind of the, the way. So they said no. The night before I get a call, I said, hey, we've changed our mind. We'd like to know exactly what you're praying. <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, I don't pre-script my conversation with God. That's what I said to him. I said, I'll get up in the morning early, and my dialogue with God will probably, and I'll shoot you in the morning an email. <laughs> I did. I was only supposed to pray two and a half minutes, by the way, and I did four and a half, and I think there was a red dot I saw <laughs> going around. I knew there was a sniper there, but God wants to hear you. And if you don't know God that well this morning, the scripture says, you come to him, you, your heart, 
You open up to him. What can we ask for? James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I want to get to what we can ask for, but I just want to first say there's this idea out there that is saying, if you don't believe enough that God will answer your prayer, he won't. That's a little bit of a twist from what God's saying through the scripture here. Let me just say what, what's James talking about, half-brother Jesus. It's not faith in the prayer. God doesn't have a faith meter up there and saying, whoa, this is low faith. Or they're getting up there close to an answer time. The faith is that is Jesus who he says he is? Do I believe he can do anything, that he is the son of God, that he is the creator of the earth? And do I believe once I hand that request to him, that he is going to give me the best answer, which might be no, which might be wait, which might be different than anything I could imagine? The faith is not in can he do it. The faith is, oh yeah, he can, and he can do anything in my life, and he will, as long as it fits with what he wants. And so my doubt isn't about that, but he says, ask, ask anything. Friends, some, how many of you could take a little bit extra dose of wisdom this morning? Anybody that didn't raise their hand, would you pray for them right now? Because they don't recognize they need wisdom this morning. I need a ton of it. Because the very thing that Derek just talked about is this true, is that our hearts, I mean, we have a, a God that's created us, but we are born into sin. We have a depraved mind, and I, my mind is, and my heart are always working against me. And I need wisdom in prayer, and I need other people holding me accountable to that and praying for wisdom in my own life. Do you need direction in your life? Do you need direction in your marriage? In your kids' lives? How about provision? So many people today are afraid to pray for small things. Wasn't it great hearing Peter last week? And hearing someone who grows up in a slum in Uganda is, as a, a street kid. And his idea of, of a prayer request would be, what meal am I going to eat today or tomorrow? I mean, one meal every other day. Most of us don't have that perspective. So then we hear a story like that and think, well, shoot, <laughs> us getting that boat didn't matter. It doesn't, it's not a big deal. I don't want to ask God that. He wants to hear every request. It doesn't mean we're a health and wealth people, like we just pray to God and he gives it to you. No, if I could give you anything on any of these three that is a great meter, should you be praying for it? Because, friends, I'll be praying and over time, have you ever prayed for something and all of a sudden going, did I write that down? Or someone sneak that in because I shouldn't be praying that. Scribble, scribble, scribble. I'm changing that prayer. God's changing us in the midst of our conversation with him. But here's one great way to have a meter on what you're praying for. How will it glorify the king? You're praying for health? Will it glorify the doctor or the drug? Or will it glorify God, who is the great healer? You're praying for provision? And when you let those things out there known, 
to other people and they start to see that we all get to glorify God. Because when someone comes and says, I need healing, we're not healers, but God is the healer and we pray for it and it happens, we all give who glory? Not the pastor, not the prayer. It is the, it is the Father in heaven who gives great gifts. When someone gets a job, when someone's life is turned around, when someone's child is protected from something, um, when someone moves out of depression, when a relationship is restored and there's forgiveness, those are all great moments for us to celebrate and give glory to God, not us. And that's the beautiful part of John 17 where Jesus says, he's not creating Christian, as he just said, <laughs> was great, a marketing term, these Christian clubs. How boring. The glory of Christ is to be in the world. And so when we're out there and we're living differently and someone says why or how, we get to go, that's who. Not because I went to school, not because I'm pretty smart, not because I'm a strategist or I've got things figured out or i got a good set of friends or i got a good checking account. This is why the scripture says that money is a struggle. I just heard a recent friend that has all he could ever need money financially. You know what he said? It is so hard to trust God when you don't really need him for anything. Boy, that perception, you think about that. If you could buy anything you needed, that reality is doing exactly what Derek says. It clouds us to thinking we, we, we're not that bad. We don't have it that bad. You do. What can you ask for? You can ask for anything. And in that ask, you should recognize that as James talks about later on, you have not because you ask not, and you have not because you're asking with weird and deceptive and evil motives. You can't obviously ask to harm other people. You can't ask that. And I think many of the things that, that we ask for, sometimes we should just run through the grid. Really, how is this glorifying God? This is a great picture, and I love, I wish... This scene is what should happen more often. This is the, it's the first battalion of Marines that are about to go out um, in northern Iraq. The recognition is they're moving into a, a situation that is going to be very dark and what? Possibly life-ending. What I love here is, could you imagine being in hearing the prayers? I would imagine that most of these men are not fearful to open their mouth and give glory to the one who deserves it. And there's a recognition that they have it pretty bad. They're in, in a bad way. I wonder if our marriages approached life this way and kind of gathered up this way and said, we need to be praying more. As a couple walks into this place and you don't even know their name, do you pray for their marriage? You guys, marriages are falling apart left and right. There's affairs, there's impurity, there's just a... There's no reconciliation. It's just ridiculous. Why? Because I think we've created the methods of the world that we think are, we've, we've become people that don't think God-like. And God says what binds us together in promise with another in a marriage is him. When I marry a couple, it's not because I bound them together. It is the father that has this unique bond. And we need to be surrendering this way. If you want your family to be different, could we think our lives as soldiers of saying, there's a battle for our kids. There's a battle for your kids. The world is trying to rip off your kids and just completely distract them from the truth. 
Are you praying? The world's trying to attack us individually about how we spend our money, how we spend our time, all those things. This is not doom and gloom. This is not fear. I'm not telling you, you know, board up your house and don't watch TV anymore. I think what I'm saying is, do you talk to the one that leads us through this stuff? Here's the last question. How do we begin? A great story in the Bible. I'm going to work through it pretty quickly, but it's in Mark chapter 6. It's Jesus, he's been teaching, he's with his disciples, he says, so they'd be, they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran afoot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So they figured out where they were going. When Jesus landed, saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching um, them many things. By this time, though, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him which is like us. We want to figure things out for God. And we come to God, typically, we say this, God, I figured out the problem. I figured out the solution. Can you do it? Can you? We're at the business desk. Can you do this for me? So there's 5,000 people, and the disciples say, it's not such a bad thing. There's, this is a remote place, Jesus. And it's already very late. Hey, let's send the people away so they can get Go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus filled with great compassion. And he can do all this, but here's what he says to him: You give them something to eat. Do you ever think about that? Why does he say that to these disciples? You give them something to eat. Part of me wonders if God is asking us. There's sometimes we pray to God to do things. You ever prayed and said, God, give me more patience for that person and treat him, help me treat him kinder. Well, yeah, you do it. You're supposed to do that. Just do that. There's no miracle needed there. You're supposed to do that. It may be that you need to ask God to change your heart. But those are things that we can do. I think part of Jesus saying is, look, there's some things. What what are you asking? I'm a miracle worker. I'm a creator. He goes on and says, they said to him, the disciples, that would take more than half a year's wages to feed these 5,000 people. The disciples are like, their plan is blowing up before them. He says, are are we supposed to go spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? Are you asking us to clean out like life savings to do this? Jesus does something so profound that I think would be a great starting place for us this morning. He says this, how many loaves do you have? You know what he says? What do you have? I think this morning how we start to pray is asking the question, what do you already have? What do you have in provision already in your life, in direction in your life, a church body in your life, a ministry, a set of friends that love Jesus? What do you have already in your life and are you doing what Jesus is going to do? They're going to collect these five loaves and two fish, but Jesus will take all this and then do what? Verse 41, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking to heaven, he does what? He gives thanks. You want to start to pray this morning and start to think about your life? Not only how bad you really are, as Derek said, but how much you already have been given. How much a miracle has already been given to all of us. And are you giving him thanks? We want to be a church that's doing that. There are a lot of things that we want to see ahead in our life. There are a lot of things that we want to see in our church. And we're going to continue to try to prayerfully work through that and do what we can. And 
yet we're going to always give that to him, trusting his answers best. But what we can do every moment is saying, wow, what I already have is amazing. When he does this, he doesn't even pray for the miracle. Do you notice that? Jesus doesn't pray to the Father for a miracle. He says, thank you for five loaves and two fish. And then the miracle unfolds. I wonder if God is waiting for you to recognize what you already have this morning. As we go to the communion table to, to take the bread and the cup, it is symbolic of you coming forward if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's symbolic for us to take that and we're to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us to be the last intercessor so you have the opportunity to pray to God. Without Jesus' death and resurrection, you don't pray to the Father. You can't. Because you're unclean. Because you have a dark heart like you and I. We, but we all do. It is through Christ we have that. We have something to thank him for right there, what we already have. But can I go a step further? I, I think it would be beautiful for many of you. As you go to here, maybe to drop to your knee for the first time with your spouse, with your children with someone you don't even know. Because friends, we're wearing the same colors. I know if we tailgate next week and we wear this right color jersey, we're buddies in minutes, right? We're buddies in minutes. You all are wearing the same jersey in this room. It's your saying, I am pursuing this great king, this great savior, Jesus Christ. Because of that, you can kneel together and not know names. You can ask, how can I pray for you? Friends, we can do this and start right now. Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory for the son that you sent here to earth to live a full life, a perfect life, to be sacrificed on our behalf, to, to pay the price of the darkness of our own sin. God, thank you for what we already have in this. And we thank you for that. And we, we honor and remember that gift by going to the communion table this morning. God, might we look to our left and right, and I pray the Spirit be heavy on our hearts to begin to take on the case of others. In Jesus' name, amen.